that you've told me like one one thousandth of the things that annoy you about the world. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's go back to happy place. Yeah, I know. So tell me, what do you consider your happy place? You you asked me a really interesting question when we first started doing this. Um, and the first like eight times we attempted to do a podcast before we realized we need to pick a topic and stick to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Our first attempts at doing a podcast were just you and I getting on the phone saying, okay, we're going to talk for 45 minutes and it's going to be about this, that, and the other thing. And then like two hours later, we'd be all like, have we even addressed have we even addressed the topic that we said we were going to address? I mean, I got a lot of I got a lot, a lot of bones to pick. I got a lot of bones to pick. What was that great that great festivus that that holiday festivus for the rest of us? Yeah, where it's like Seinfeld. airing the airing of grievances. Yes, I got a lot of say. I got a lot of things to say to use. Yes. Right there. <laughs> um, but you asked me a really interesting question. You asked me like, is my happy place? static like is it always the same place mm. and for me it is not that makes which we can sense. get into yeah All we right. can get so into that let's start with you then oh let's start yeah. with me my happy place is honestly any place that is new like anytime I move somewhere new the first year that I'm there it's fantastic Like the year that I moved to LA, it's just like, even when I was having a bad day or stressed out, I would like look out at the landscape. Um, Cause we lived off of La Cienega and there was this one uh, overpass. I would like go up on the overpass and have this view of Los Angeles with the Hollywood sign in the distance and all of these palm trees lining up. about the Kenneth Hahn Recreation Area? Yeah, yeah. Oh, right yeah. next to the Kenneth Hahn Recreation Park, there's this overpass, and I would, like, drive on it all the time whenever I was going anywhere north in Los Angeles, and I'd get to the top, and there would be just this iconic scene of Los Angeles with the Hollywood sign in the distance and all these palm trees lined up against the road, and I would just go, like, oh, my God, I'm here I'm in Los Angeles. I'm in the place of dreams. I'm in the dream <laughs> factory. What kind of dreams? Do you mean nightmares? Do you mean No, because nightmares? for Oh, me, yeah, that's right. For you. Sorry. We're talking about <laughs> you and your happy place. Commence. That's, that's kind of the thing is like whenever I'm in a new place, I'm just excited by the different stuff. And how new everything is. And it's like all of my body is alive because I'm there. I'm excited and I'm nervous. I don't know what's going to happen. So anytime um, something good happens, is this amazing surprise. Like, you know, you'll see something so iconic Los Angeles and just be all like, oh, wow, I've seen this on the movies all the time. And now it's here in person, you know. Um, like seeing the Hollywood sign from, from the overpass all the time. I mean, but we did, we were born and raised in California and we go to Los Angeles all the time because our grandmother lived there, but it was very different once like full blown moving to it. Yeah. Like going to LA when you're a kid and going to grandma's apartment, which is also one of my happy places. Yeah. Um, but going to grandma's apartment, like that is a very limited view of Los Angeles and dad hates Los Angeles. So it's not like we ever really went to Los Angeles when we were in Los Angeles. 
It's so true. I mean, we know we would go to the Getty all the time. That's about it. No, we went, we went to the Getty occasionally, but basically like we'd get into the heart of Culver City in Los Angeles and dad would like just put barriers on the doors and be like, keep the city out of here. We are yeah. nesting inside grandma's apartment. I mean, I don't blame outside. him now. I don't blame, oh? I don't blame him now after living there. For me, though, like living there, I think, you know, you and I have moved every four years as long as we've been alive on the planet. Sometimes and Los years. Angeles, Los Angeles is the place that I lived the longest. And I think part of why I liked it so much is because it has warm weather. Part of part of why I liked it so much is just it had so much stimuli and it is this big sprawling city which means like you can go to seven different cities uh a day or one different city a week like you know going up to hollywood is very different from being in like san pedro or going down to long beach or going to santa monica or venice you know it's like there's all these different little locations that are really unique and they've all got these different experiences and you can just get pretty much anything you want in Los Angeles, unless what you want is peace and quiet. I was, about to, I was about to jump in there and be like, oh, and don't forget like true authenticity and like, you know. That's a, see, that's not true. Like go to Little Ethiopia. That is authentic Ethiopian food, you know, like. And it meant heartfelt friendships. I didn't, I didn't find that in LA that much. That's, yeah. And that's true. But for it was me, hard to find people who weren't like just flaky, flaky people who are just like, what can you do for me? Nothing. If you could do nothing for me, I, I don't really care about you at all. No. And that's definitely there. And, and that's the thing is like after, you know, seven, eight years, like, okay, here's a really good example like living in LA, going to Earth Cafe is like one of my favorite things in the world. Going to Earth Cafe in Santa Monica or Beverly Hills. Is you love that giant line, at least in Santa Monica. Like I would go sometimes after opera practice and it would be like 10 at night and there would be a giant line. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Does anyone go home ever? <laughs> I guess everyone's probably getting out of rehearsal. Yeah, exactly. So like, I used to go there in the mornings and I'd overhear people and they'd be all like, oh, you know, we're working on this project. Um, you know, we're talking to the producers about this and that and the other thing. And I would be so excited. I'm like, I am here. I am in the dream factory. It's like the Muppets in um, the Muppet movie getting to Los Angeles. And they're just like, they walk up to, uh, I think it's Orson Welles is the one playing the character. And he's all like, uh, gets his secretary on the phone and is like, please prepare the standard rich and famous contract for Mr. Kermit the Frog and his friends. Like, that's how I felt the first year I was in Los Angeles. I'm just like, I'm here. Everything is exciting. I'm at the center of the dream factory. I can just sit and be nobody in a cafe and overhear people talking about the deals they're making in Hollywood. So wait. It's so exciting. You like to be nobody in a town where everyone is trying to be somebody. No, I was feeling more like, hey, I just arrived and it's all here. Like you do. And I have a poem about this. My poem, <laughs> I shall arise and go to Los Angeles. 
quite what I quite articulates like, it. I do like that poem very much. Thank um, you. No, it wasn't like about being nobody surrounded by all these somebodies. That well, that no, they were nobodies too, but they were all trying to be somebodies. Don't <laughs> don't act like don't act like you were surrounded by a bunch of somebodies. But that's the thing is like no, I mean I met I've met a number of celebrities. I've like you know Patricia Arquette handed me my coffee once because we were in a class together, God, and this I was love right Patricia after Arquette. I met Patricia Arquette. I, I just love how you're not. <laughs> It just like played right into it. You're not a somebody unless you're famous. That's not true. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, you know, the idea of it. This was right after she won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress in Boyhood. And I showed up at this one creative writing class and I saw her sitting across the way and I'm like, who is that woman? Where do I know her from? I probably know her from some other creative writing class. She's probably a friend of a friend. I don't know. And then the creative writing teacher is like, oh, Patricia, it's good to see you again. And it immediately clicked into my head. Oh my God, that's Patricia Arquette. And I remember like sitting up a little bit and putting my hands under my butt and sitting on my hands because I was so excited. And I'm all like, keep you're cool, Tricia. I was biting my tongue. I'm all like, don't jump up out of this chair. Do not go run over and start screaming. Oh my God. Do you know you're Patricia Arquette? Do you know you just won an Oscar? And so for the entire time, like inside my head, I'm just having fireworks going off. (laughs) My body was all tense and people probably thought that I was like, super constipated or had to pee and was trying to hold it because I was just trying to hold in my excitement. And as soon as class was over, I like didn't say hello because I wasn't going to go be an idiot and say hello. And I knew whatever I said to her, I was just going to sound stupid. So I instead went out to my car and texted you. And I'm like, oh, my God, do you know who I just met? I met Patricia Arquette. And you were all excited. You're like, I love Medium. And that's, you know, that's, I think that's the excitement of LA because whether you're, you've made it big or you've not made it big or whatever, there's just this proximity to all the exciting things that are going on. You can be like, hey, I met this celebrity and I, I overheard this person at a coffee shop. Like I've run into famous people, you know, like picking up their dry cleaning. But you're saying like the exciting things that are going on. You mean the exciting things that are going on in the imaginary worlds that we see on TV. You're not actually saying they're not the actual exciting things that are going on in reality, just in the imaginary. Well, all excitement happens in your brain. Okay, fair. (laughs) But I'm saying there are people who you do not see who uh, who are part of like very important, exciting things. God, Trisha. God, <laughs> well, so superficial. <laughs> like after. I'm just kidding. They're all, you know, I get it. And Patricia Arquette's a really exciting, like, she's so great. She's I super really nice too. Love her. Um, there are only so many people I would get like, like I would have to clinch my anus if I saw like, and those people are Christopher Walken, uh-huh. Alan Rickman, who has passed, of course, David Bowie, who has passed. Um, I know there's someone else that I love. Hold up, hold up. Mm. Is it really only Christopher Walken? No, there's got to be someone else. I'm David Bowie. I said he passed. No, the people who are still alive. In this existence, 
Is that well, whole system? Okay. How do you know? Like, you don't know if you're going to be excited about meeting them until you've actually met them. No, I mean, I, I, I feel that I can already anticipate what kind of emotion will come to the forefront when I see. Well, it depends on who I see. That's definitely, like, that's how I used to feel. And I still do. I mean, because here's the thing. And you have met people you have seen on television shows who've lived underneath you. I know. I got to say, okay, okay. Yes. Like, the fact that I was such a huge Buffy the Vampire fan Mm -hmm. and the guy who lived beneath me when I was in L.A., played uh Xander Harris yeah um what's his name Alex god damn what is his name what is his actual wait no wait Nicholas Brandon well yeah Nicholas Brandon there you go um that was trippy because there there could have been so many shows it could have been someone from like a show I never really saw or I saw once but the fact that it was like, oh my God, I was so into the show. I just love it. I've seen it a hundred times over and over. And that, that was just trippy. It is super trippy. Oh, did I, I told you about the time that I met Rob Morrow because he was in Death of a Salesman. We went to go see it like, yes. like, like the night before we left Los Angeles. Rob Morrow. Rob yes. Morrow who I have seen so many times because he was the star of Northern Exposure, which is by far, I think, my favorite that show, show in television. is phenomenal. That show is transcendent. It is. I it's like write. great literature. It's like a classic. Just, I mean, I watched it, obviously, when it was well off the air because you introduced yeah. me to it. And I was like, God damn, this show is deep as fuck and the characters are interesting and you can watch it like I could watch it I, I want to watch it with Andrew because I feel like he'll really relate I to. really I would watch it again especially now in quarantine like oh it's yeah definitely that's kind of appropriate considering it's very appropriate for yeah so anyways like the point is though that like after seven years in Los Angeles, I think in fact eight, we lived there, I lived there for eight years before we finally left. It's like all that stuff that's so exciting initially, it does lose its luster and its appeal. Like mm-hmm. there are things that I love about Los Angeles still, and I'm looking forward to going back eventually and getting to, you know, go to the places I love again and see the people I love again. But like that thing of going to Earth Cafe in the beginning, it was so exciting. It was like, oh my God, there's like, is that a minor celebrity I'm seeing? And here's someone talking about the industry and I can overhear these really interesting conversations. And after a while, I just remember one morning going for breakfast and overhearing two people talking about like the arts and this movie they were trying to get funding for. And I'm like, the whole conversation is about getting funding, no one is talking about the movies, the art, the dramatic arcs, the characters, the word choices, all the stuff that I actually care about and find interesting. It's not there. It's just the prestige with, you know, like little bits of heart thrown in there. That's LA. It's all, it's like, like, that's what the pop industry is. It's all like a money making thing. It's not 
Let's do, I mean, not for some, some things, of course, but we, if you look at like now, if you look at pop music, they try to churn out as much shit that is, that is formulaic as fuck. They try to churn out as much crap as fast as they can um, so they can sell more and sell more and merchandise and merchandise (laughs) and they're not trying to make art and to think that that uh, that a lot of mainstream uh, arts culture is is just a fucking laugh I mean really are you gonna sit there and be like wow this reality show is art no we all know it's just there to kind of numb you and to be all like, man, at least that's not my life after watching 90 Day Fiance. Well, at least I feel a little bit better about myself, you know? <laughs> so LA has a lot of that. It's a lot of money-making scheme uh, masquerading as art. Yeah. Um, well, what, and what then, I will... You know, that's, what, what? that's truly how I, how I feel. And then there's some amazing art in there, of course. But it's it's... It's just in like droplets in a pool of yes. a very bland, uh, superficial, exploitative crap. Yeah. You know what I'm thinking of? Because you love my metaphors. I do. Um, I love metaphors. <laughs> I read this book called Catfish and Mandala by Andrew Pham. Uh, and it's about um, a Vietnamese American person who goes back to Vietnam and I I believe he's born in Vietnam, comes to the United States, goes back to Vietnam um, to reconnect with, with his um, family's ancestral home, basically. Anyways, there's this one scene where he has a particular drink where they take this fish and they, uh, they like, they isolate this part, they poke it in a certain way so that it's still alive and its heart no, is beating no. while like while they fry it up. So no. you, can, you can consume it while it's still got its heart beating and pumping blood to all of the rest of its fleshy parts. Oh my god. Why did you have to tell me that? That just because I was just thinking that's kind of the perfect metaphor for Los Angeles and how I felt when I finally left was like, there is this beating heart to it. There is real art being made. There are people who really care about um, pushing the envelope and, and using art to communicate with other people and speak about what's important about our lives. And it is still beating, but everything else around it feels dead. Oh, interesting. Oh, that is a good metaphor, but really fucking dark. I, I There's so many places that I really love. And for me, I think in some ways, like the place where I am the happiest is the terminal of an airport. Oh, God, that is like my personal health. No, I'm sorry. That depends on the airport. If it's LAX, <laughs> you might as well be in a shit infested, plague ridden crap hole if it's like obviously LaGuardia, Newark, like anything, like oh fuck, it's awful. Again, that's like how you and I are different. Like for me, people are rude cocksuckers at LAX. They are the <laughs> rudest <laughs> cocksuckery fuckers. And then you go to other airports, and they're all like, "Hi, how are you?" And I'm like, "Why are you treating me like a human? Why?" But at the same time, I definitely don't hold it against like the employees at all because having to deal with people at LAX 
would make me like if I had to do that as a job I just I think I would die of a rage stroke every (laughs) second I would just I would just come alive again resurrect and then die again of a rage stroke because I couldn't handle that shit yeah it'd be like how is this 33-year-old having a show you know, right now? Have you noticed when you're at LAX, I feel like a lot of the employees just look, I mean, it's how I was. It's how I looked when I worked in retail uh, near, right by LAX. Yeah. You're just like devoid, like the light is off in your eyes. The light, <laughs> you're just like, you're just like, I don't give a fuck. Um, go fuck yourself. Get out of my face. That is how LAX, that's experience you get at LAX. It's the, it's so awful. Yeah. I didn't say that working there would be my happy place, but but not at any airport, surely not LaGuardia. No, but I'll tell, I'll tell you what, Liz, like the airports that you love are probably the ones that drive me the most nuts. Like, you know what, getting off the plane in the middle of the night in the airport in Burlington, Vermont, where we were the only people and the only oh, flight coming in at that so time. Beautiful. And I was thinking like, it's creepy and eerie. Airports are supposed to have too many people. <laughs> and You're I was supposed like, to just be a Petri dish. Whole airport for me. And I have all the space I want and need. Yay, Vermont. I'm very, like, as soon as I saw the bumper sticker that said Vermont, where peace and quiet have come to have some peace and quiet. I'm like, oh shit, sign me up. Except, you know, the economy's like not great there and hopefully I can retire there. But as of now, not yet. I think, you know, I think that's one area we kind of agree on because I love, especially Burlington, Vermont. Um, I know I just college. their airport is a little bit creepy when, when you're coming in and you're the last plane and the only plane coming in is a little bit creepy to me. Um, in general, not just Burlington specifically, but like, okay, the city of Burlington in Vermont has the perfect balance of it's peaceful and quiet, but there's Mm. enough going on and it's all fairly environmentally friendly and there's bookstores and and there's like delicious food and there's people who are there for tourism and there's people who live there and there's this combination of like farm life but also city life and an intellectual life and an appreciation for the arts it's a great balance I really I'm planning on another trip to Vermont maybe this fall with Andrew if we can Mm -hmm. I don't know if we can afford that but we'll see I just need to know now that I live in the south like we're not to be honest, we're not super on board with, uh, we don't, Andrew and I are not sure we can feel like this is our home home. Yeah. I, I feel like I need to go explore New England a bit, but I just, economically, I don't think it'll work out. Well, that is a perfect segue because yes. now I'm my happy go. place, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. What is Elizabeth's happy place? Okay. So Trisha's happy place is just change, constant what I love most about rivers is you can't step in the same river twice. How many Water's bars is always that? changing, always flowing. Liz, you're getting into copyright infringement. Uh, so my, my physical happy place is I'm really into nesting. I'm really into... I, I also get... I also kind of get off on like being in a new place. But yeah, I mean... Who doesn't? It's like, oh, I'm going to explore all these new things. That's very exciting. Mm-hmm. 
but I love to have an anchor. I'm very into anchors. I like to have the place I can come back and nest at that is all built up for Elizabeth's happiness. So mostly I need to have a space where I can be completely alone, where no one can see me. That feels really safe and comforting. Soft things, cats, tea, coffee. Uh, if we're going to expand out like you did to Los Angeles or various other exciting cities, I do think the place, the place, the place that I felt most happy, I think, and just like this could be my home was Concord, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. When I went to go see Louisa May Alcott's house, orchard house, and where I discovered that every single thing I believe in is called transcendentalism. <laughs> and I was like, oh, so that's not something that just I believe. Other people also thought this was the way you should live. And I'm like, oh, and that felt really fucking good, despite being a four and being like, I have to be the most unique. No, it feels really good to be all like, yes, I also feel that we should go discover ourselves in nature and not be around uh, people too much and come up with our own thoughts and feelings. This makes me sound like hipster. I'm not a hipster. (laughs) Because they're not like that. Hipsters are not like, I like to come up with my own. No. Why do they all look and dress the same then? Explain that. They don't. They do so. You know what? You accuse me and Alan. I'm sorry. They all wear, they they all wear skinny jeans. Mm -hmm. Um, They wear weird, ironic hats. I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. And ironic shirts. Um, like someone who's like 21 and has a shirt of, um, of like the labyrinth, you know, which was made in 1986. Um, someone called me a hipster once and I almost punched them. And that was in Santa Monica because they thought I was younger than I was. And I was wearing a labyrinth shirt and they, I assumed, I guess they assumed like, wasn't that funny? You know, that wasn't really something you were brought up with, but I'm like, yes, it was. Yeah, so they thought you were wearing it ironically, and you're all like, yes. no, I'm wearing this since No, I am a huge fan. I will literally tell you all the lines from all the movie. You can die. And I almost well, like, punch this guy. Yeah, you're like, no, I'm not a hipster. I am a genuine, authentic nerd. <laughs> well, I don't understand hipster, and I've asked so many people to explain it to me because I don't, mostly I can just see that it's like a style and a, like for the same kind of music. Like, I guess the thing, like you think I'm a hipster because as I don't think you're a hipster. I think you you are. No, no, no. I called you a dirty hippie. That's different. Also, no, I remember we were in Burlington, Vermont. (laughs) We were eating probably chickpea patties. Okay. On a whole grain bun at a farm to table restaurant. (laughs) And you were surrounded by being hipster. We were surrounded by white people with dreadlocks. And that was kind of weird. And okay, the thing you you and Alan, real fast, you and Alan do not dress like hipsters because you because it's actually very expensive, I think, to dress like a hipster. Um, The thing is with hipsters from what I've seen, they want to look like these bohemian people of the earth, but they're all working these like high level tech or literary jobs where they're pulling in like at least, at least over like 80,000, you know, Mm -hmm. if not more. 
And, but they're, they're very much like, no, I'm a bohemian, a free spirit. Now, can I have my $12 craft beer? Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's hipsters. They're either pulling in 80,000 working in the tech industry, or they're like founding a craft beer co-op. Or an app. I worked at a WeWork in Santa Monica and the whole WeWork was nothing but hipsters. And I'm sure they were lovely, beautiful, intelligent, awesome people. Okay. What? My happy place. Happy place. I just want to be in a comfy, cozy. If you want to say hugga, there's mm-hmm. your there's your trending word, hugga. Uh, can smell good candles. I like that when things smell. I notice that my most comforting scent that I prefer to use is like cinnamony apple mm-hmm. scent. Uh, I used to think I just loved lavender so much, but now I'm I'm just. I want everything to smell like cinnamon and apples. That feels really comforting. Yeah. Tell me more about um, this magical place in New England. It's like a cabin. Not too big, not too small. There's um, a faux fur rug because I don't want to actually, you know, have an animal skinned. Unless it's a human. That's fine. (laughs) But... Hold on, hold on. My happy place. Okay, so it's a cabin and um, there's a fire burning and there's a cinnamon scented candle and uh, a chandelier made of the bones of my enemies who I have slain. <laughs> Something simple. Just something something simple simple and homey, bohemian kind of, (laughs) you know, like organic. Like these are organically sourced bones from hipsters that I found irritating in Los Angeles. (laughs) As you can see, they're all quite brittle since they were all vegan. And should just be like totally inappropriate like totally inappropriate hey at least I dislike everyone equally except for Uh, people who love and try to help the environment they they are wonderful yeah we'll cut out some of this no because I I now I'm trying to think I'm like do I have any hipster friends do I have any friends (laughs) (laughs) no I don't see if I had a hipster friend I feel like I would, you know, when you obviously get close to someone, you develop empathy and understanding and you don't question their lifestyle choices as much, or you, you have empathy for their lifestyle choices. Yeah. Well, and because you understand that. and you don't look at them as like a group, a herd of <laughs> cattle that walk around LA with their weird, ironic hats and their boots and their skinny jeans. Well, and that's the thing I think about introverts, maybe about fours on the Enneagram. And um, it's not that you dislike people. You like, you have trouble with people in mass numbers and the superficiality of people. Like once you get to know people, you like them. That felt so cleansing to my soul when you said that, because I'm like, that's exactly how I feel. I don't like people in mass numbers and I don't like the superficiality and if I can see a herd of people coming at me who all look the same and look like they just have herd mentality mob mentality and and there's like they're just like I just look like this because conforming um 
which as far as I understood was like the opposite of what a hipster was supposed to do, yet they all look much more the same than almost any other group. It's, uh, like- it's ironic. Wow. Isn't that amazing how that just got brought <laughs> full circle? Uh, yeah, I, I get, I think I get now here's vulnerability moments, vulnerability, <laughs> vulnerability moments. Uh, mm. I, obviously I have a, a hair trigger when it comes to my feelings. So I feel very triggered. I think by that, because I never felt part of a group. I never felt like I belonged anywhere. I truly felt like not a cool outcast. Like I'm such a cool outcast. I only listen to like alternative music and I only watch these really artsy fartsy films that mean nothing, but they're really, really symbolic of something that I don't even understand. No, I just never, I never fit in and it really frustrated me and I can never find my people, my tribe until more recently. And even then me and my tribe are like a couple people. So that makes me just feel like we're a bunch of outliers and maybe that is my tribe, but it's frustrating because I look at like things like the hipster movement and I'm like, you guys all found your tribe. And I'm like, I never found my tribe. And that makes me feel triggered. Oh, so secretly yeah. you're kind of jealous of hipster. Well, I don't want to be a hipster because I I just don't get it. And I don't yeah, think I like their music. No, for you, your freak tribe is like Renfair. Okay, so I, no offense to Renfair, because I, like, once someone introduced me to that in my earlier 20s, I was like, this is great. I love playing dress up, especially old fashioned dress up, especially in something where it's basically meant for a, like it makes my body look the most flattering. Um, So of course I like that and let's all dress up and play dress up. I mean, who like, that's fucking great because that's what I love about theater. That's what I love about acting and performing. Let's play dress up and pretend we're someone else. That is the ultimate escapism. And it feels really therapeutic, but I went to Ren Fair and I had like some great times. I really enjoyed myself. And then eventually after like the third year of going, like I went and I'm like, I actually don't really enjoy this very much. Um, and I was trying to convince myself like, yeah, you do. You love this. But then I was like, no, I don't. I really don't like this. Is it because and, too many people? Um, I'm really, I, I know I've thought about this because it really excited me. I was like, maybe I found like my people, like Renfair people who basically live their whole life for Renfair and go from Renfair to Renfair. But I'm like, no, I just felt excited for a moment to feel like a belonging. But then I was like, I actually don't feel like I like to like I just like to dress up and play make believe. But I don't. I feel weird about like going to a festival and doing that. It felt really really awkward. Right. And um, getting drunk and flirting with like people who try to take it so far to the point of definitely not wearing any deodorant or washing themselves. <laughs> You know, I appreciate the commitment to authenticity. How could I not? But no, it's just not. It actually, it was exciting for three years. And then I was like, I'm done. Yeah, you outgrew it. (laughs) I outgrew it. Um, And I think that it's like, I think it's fun and interesting for sure. And I admire like the amazing crafts and like art artisans that do sell their wares there. Like they're some amazing, wonderful handmade items, but 
No, I'm not a Ren Faire person. Um, I'm not a theater person. I'm a nothing person. Oh, so alone. Just me and my cat who doesn't even want me to hug her right now. Bitch. Are in the process of creating a pretty authentic life for yourself because, like, you have friends. You just have a smaller group of them, and they're very close-knit. Like, you and Sage are practically sisters. Yeah. People have mistaken her for your sister, <laughs> which I'm not insulted by at all. Um, it's not like, you know, she didn't do the hard work for 18 years before sending you out <laughs> to the world. And, and now she gets like, all the credit. No. And then me and Chris are really close. We're both Virgos, born on September yes. 4th. Like, we're... I think we've gotten really close and we're very similar in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, I mean, you are really attracting a very small but tight, well-curated group of friends who share your interests. And and my annoyances. I think also you really do bond with people who hate the same things you hate. Yeah. And the things that we all dislike so much is um, superficial bullshit Yes. We really get, I think we get really triggered. I love that word. Get triggered by superficial bullshit. And there's nothing that makes me more uncomfortable than some narcissistic asshole coming over and pretending that there's someone that they're not. In Your Happy Place is brought to you by absolutely no one. Nobody wanted to sponsor this podcast, but if you would like to become a sponsor, you can buy ad time on our podcast where we will promote all of your happy products. Or your unhappy products. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we now return you to our podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to In My Happy Place. So, Liz, we've done a rant and a rave. You and I have talked about the places that we love and the places that we love a little bit less. And, um, yeah, for me, it's pretty much any place that's new and different. For you, it is a cottage in New England with the smell of cinnamon and apples and the blood of your enemy sprayed across your wall. And I think this will segue a little bit into what we want to talk about next week. Uh, I want to ask you what you can be doing now that you're in North Carolina um, to give yourself more of that New England cottage in the woods kind of happy autumn, autumn in New England feel. Candles. (laughs) Well, (laughs) May. It's not that funny. It's not, you can't you can't translate this on podcast, but your face was just like the most dead old Norse Viking face. And you say candles. Um, I like I like candles. I like candles. I make them out of the fat of my enemies I have oh slain. Um, well, let me make a recommendation for you. Actually, this is This is something I think you will enjoy, uh, and I think I've maybe mentioned it before, but um, there's a comedy called The Norsemen, and it's really super slapstick, and I think it's kind of cheesy, but if if you like kind of the mythological Viking culture, I think you would kind of enjoy it because everyone's wearing these Viking costumes, and you have people speaking with 
uh, an accent and you get all these gorgeous. You're like any accent. It doesn't matter. Just <laughs> an accent that's not American. And we automatically believe. It's really interesting. Cause I don't know if it's like supposed to be a Swedish accent or, or if this is kind of the, the really the way the old Norse people would have spoken, but it's like, you know, yeah, the, the, I can't do it. Never mind. Um, <laughs> that was such a fail. Yeah, I like uh, pickled fish and pickled things. Yeah. <laughs> totally, totally exaggerate like all of Yeah, I'm 6'3". Yeah. <laughs> it's both, they exaggerate the, the um, both the violence and the hookah qualities that you like. Because so after like, a day, after a long day of slaying those who have wronged you or <laughs> just those who have something that you want, um, <laughs> it's always nice to settle down with a hot mug of blood mixed <laughs> with apple cider and snuggle up to your kitty kitty with a nice warm skin blanket <laughs> yeah I think you would like the show a lot um and that brings me to my next recommendation well you're the one who actually introduced me to this concept of the kitchen witch well I mean that's the big difference Women have been practicing kitchen witchery forever. They've been using their kitchen to uh, to make their charms and amulets and spellcraft and poison their abusive husbands. I mean, it's a beautiful place of wonderful crafting and defensive magic and offensive magic. Defensive and offensive magic. The offensive <laughs> magic. Hey, you know what? If they're going to be all like, you just do the food and we'll treat you how we want and you're not going to get anything. I mean, why wouldn't you poison them? I mean, I'm I'm very uh, in favor of what you're saying. In fact, I, I just love episode. the idea of some fucking fucker being like, oh, like I abuse my I abuse my fucking wife and treat her like shit. And I'm a horrible, horrible person. And yet I'm totally willingly going to eat this food that she prepared for me after I beat her. I'm like, well, you're not so fucking smart, are you? I would poison that motherfucker. And then I would be all like, I don't know. I don't know. He had a, he had a weak heart. Lots of women got away with it. And I, you know, I'm not, I'm not like pro murder, but if someone's abusing you, and you don't have any fucking rights or anyone who's going to help you, which unfortunately women are still in that place mm -hmm. nowadays, um, where basically the person has to, has to like actually attack them, assault them or kill them for anyone to be like, oh, well now we can do something, you know, you gotta, I'm not, I'm not saying go murder people. I'm just saying, you know, there's a lot you can get away with. Um, I think that was actually like an episode of my favorite that was on an episode of my favorite murder is this group of women who oh, it uh, was. Yeah, this woman who helped other women poison uh, their abusive husbands. Poison, yeah, poison their husbands, but only I mean the way it started out, it was only the ones who were abusing them and putting their lives in danger. It was totally an act of self-defense and yeah. I think yeah. justified. 
but then they got greedy and then they just started yeah. poisoning everyone that you gotta you gotta know when to stop poisoning like you need to <laughs> like self-defense is one thing but then just going ahead and being a fucking dick you don't want to be that person so next week, we're going to talk about the creative ways that you can use the kitchen to um, bring yourself to your happy place. Like making cyanide out of apple seeds. <laughs> <laughs> Which they may have covered on Breaking Bad, right? Uh, no, it wasn't apple seeds. I know what no. episode you're talking about. Um, so yeah, Liz will, share, Liz will share her favorite recipes for making poisons, various poisons out of no, everyday, uh, everyday ingredients. Like and it's really not hard to poison someone. I just want to say that. So you should all be careful in the kitchen. Like don't accidentally poison yourself with gluten and dairy. Oh my God. It's like poison for your body. You guys. <laughs> uh, so join us again next week where we will talk about um, kitchen magic and being a kitchen witch. Yes. All right. I think that's it. Okay. Thank you. I love you. Goodbye. It's I love you. Bye-bye. Okay. I love you. Bye-bye. By the way, they're rehashing Animaniacs. <gasps> what do you mean they're rehashing it? They're, they're, they're going to be having new episodes of Animaniacs. I am uh, so down yeah. for this. Yeah. It looks pretty fucking funny.